Hello and welcome to the Richard Hunter interview. As ever, this is a place where I'll be discussing matters of interest with a whole range of investment experts. In this episode, I'm pleased to be joined by Richard Shepherd Cross, Investment Manager of Custodian REIT or Real Estate Investment Trust. Richard is Head of Property with Custodian Capital, as well as the Investment Manager of Custodian REIT, which was launched in 2014. He's a chartered surveyor, having graduated from Reading University in 1994 and attained the MRICS qualification in 1996. Prior to his role at Custodian Capital, Richard was a director at Jones Lang LaSalle in London, running a team focused on portfolios of commercial investment property. And while at Mattioli Woods, he had responsibility for the syndicated property initiative developing the service into the subsidiary now known as Custodian Capital. He has experience across the national commercial property market and all commercial property types with a strong focus on investment. So perhaps firstly, could you talk us through the background to and the investment strategy of the trust, including, of course, your focus on regional smaller property? Uh, yes, of course. Um, Custodian REIT was uh, launched in March 2014. And at the time of setting up the fund, we were very particular that we should launch it as a real estate investment trust, not as a property unit trust. And the well-publicized woes of the open-ended funds, the property unit trusts, uh, have, have filled uh, the real estate uh, press, particularly over the last few years. So a real estate investment trust, closed-ended fund, uh, listed on the main market of the London Stock Exchange, we felt was the best structure for the relatively illiquid assets of commercial real estate. And when we set the fund up, we had a very clear um, understanding of what we wanted to achieve. We wanted to build a fund that provided uh, investors with long-term secure income. So having decided on the structure, the next question was, what sort of properties do you buy in order to provide the yeah, highest possible level of income return for a given level of risk? You, of course, can always go up the risk scale uh, um, in order to try and deliver higher returns. But we felt a relatively low risk strategy, a property strategy allied to a low risk debt strategy, could be built around buying smaller regional properties. And that's what we set out to achieve. So at IPO, we had a seed portfolio of £95 million worth of assets. We've grown that to £650 million today. And through that period of growth, we've never lost sight of that core objective. So our dividends are fully covered from earnings because um, we believe that is sustainable. Uh, at the current run rate, the dividend is 5.5 pence per share. Um, so a little bit um, uh, was a little bit closer to five and a quarter percent dividend yield if you were to buy a share today. Well, the share price today is about uh, 107p. So that fully covered dividend from real estate, um, we believe, long term and sustainable. But why smaller properties? You might well ask. Indeed, it could have been your next question, Richard. But let me jump ahead and explain. By buying smaller regional properties, we contend you don't need to give up tenant quality, location of the property, quality of the building, but you can deliver 
150 basis point yield margin, so 150 basis points of additional return by pursuing that smaller lot strategy. Yet when you look at the data, and as you can imagine, we have and continue to monitor it, if you go back to the early 2000s, for 10 years, the risk premium for smaller properties over larger properties was only 75 basis points. But for the full duration of custodian REIT's life, it's been 150 basis points. And that's not because the smaller properties have become higher risk. It's because of supply and demand. More investors in the market who want a more bang for their buck are buying bigger assets, relatively prime. There's lots of competition, and that has led to yield compression, so reduction in initial return. And at the same time, the amount of smaller property has increased in supply. So this is a supply and demand imbalance. So we would contend that we can deliver 75 basis points of additional return by buying smaller properties for taking no additional risk. And that's really at the centre of our strategy. So in terms of portfolio diversification, for example, what's the sort of sector split of, of the properties in which you're investing? It's been reasonably consistent since IPO. And we have always had about half the portfolio by value in industrial and logistics, somewhere between 40 and 50%. It moves around, but today it's about 48% in industrial and logistics. It's about 21% in out-of-town retail, so retail warehouse, retail, retail parks, you know, the likes of uh, the DIYs and the discounters and the food retailers. Um, and they perform really strongly uh, for us of late. We've still got about 8% of the portfolio on the high street. Um, and that is by no means a bad thing because the high street um, had been starting to mount something of a recovery earlier this year. Now, the cost of living crisis could put a squeeze on that, but it still feels like an interesting entry point into the high street where rents have definitely bottomed out and we've seen a little bit of rental growth. It's only 8% of the portfolio. Um, about 12% of the portfolio is in offices. Uh, and again, that might be considered a contentious area of the market, but we have seen perhaps a two-speed market. Prime city centre offices have been uh, performing well, out-of-town business parks less well, and our focus has been on uh, those city centre offices. In terms of diversification, and this is a really, I think, key statistic, we have no one tenant in any single property that accounts for more than one and a half percent of the rent roll. So this, the cash flow from the custodian REIT portfolio is incredibly well diversified, and that creates a very stable platform to support dividends. So in terms of your strategy on asset management, bringing all that together, as you've uh, just so eloquently described? I think um, fund managers, uh, and I'm one of them, are all too keen to tell you that they hold the golden key to asset management and somehow that their active management is going to provide those superlative returns that they are targeting. I would say that active management is the minimum you should expect from a fund manager. And we shouldn't be crowing about it. We should just be getting on and doing it. But if I was to describe our asset management style, I'd say it's close asset management. Close because we, as a team, manage all our properties in-house. We collect all our own rent. We don't outsource that. 
And that's been really, really important, particularly through the two years of, of the pandemic when the payment of rent effectively became optional. Um, but we managed to collect 91% of the contractual rent during lockdown because we had an individual relationship with every tenant in the portfolio because we have collected their rents for many years. Those rents that we didn't collect, um, we gave away less than um, 3% of our total rent roll in, in concessions. And the balance between that 91 and the 3%, the balance we have collected on uh, payment plans. And I have to say our tenants have been incredibly um, straightforward to deal with and have stood by their payment plans. And I think that is in no small part due to that close asset management style. Now, obviously, uh, ESG very much remains a theme in investment terms at the moment. And I notice within your investment objectives, you also have a, an ESG strategy. What does that entail exactly? We're all going to start talking about ESG quite differently. Um, yeah, it, it, it has gone from being uh, something that we did uh, alongside managing a real estate portfolio to being the way we manage a real estate portfolio. So I think this is now normal course business. You cannot separate physical real estate from uh, environmental improvements and social improvements. It's absolutely integral to everything we do with our properties that we try and improve the uh, environmental credentials. And we don't do that just because uh, we are dyed in the wool um, environmentalists. We do it because there is a really strong um, financial advantage in having a portfolio of assets that meet our tenants' requirements around all matters environmental and social. So if we look across our portfolio, we currently have uh, energy performance certificates for every single building, as you would expect. They currently have an average rating of, of a C. The range goes from A through, uh, through to G. Um, we have an asset management plan in place on all those properties that are currently rated below a C to bring those up to standard. And I think it's also important to say that the plan is, is not just to sell those properties that don't currently meet uh, the standards that we expect, because we don't feel that is the responsible thing to do. The plan is to work with our tenants and to bring those properties up, up to standard. One of the things that's really changed um, of late is that if we had tried to bring forward this sort of strategy five years ago, our tenants wouldn't have been on board. They wouldn't have wanted to join in because they would have just seen it as potentially expensive for them and really not their concern. And I think the big difference now is that our interests, our tenants' interests and environmental interests are all aligned. And our experience of investing in our properties is that we have seen payback and more on every pound that we have spent on fitting solar panels um, to buildings, uh, to installing uh, EV charges. And with a real estate portfolio that includes retail parks, we can build the public access uh, EV charging network by putting fast or rapid charges on our retail parks, which we have done across the portfolio. 
uh, and the rollout of EV charges to offices and industrial locations is really gathering pace at the moment as our tenants' uh, demand and our um, aims come together. Now, obviously, we're, we're in a situation uh, of a potential cost of living crisis, an uncertain outlook for the UK economy. We know about the pressure on the high street and to some extent, even the retail parks uh, and the retailers there. But, but feeding that into the description you've given us so far, what, what's your outlook from here? I, I, would, I would start by qualifying my outlook by saying I'm a natural optimist. But I'm not, I'm not a blind optimist. I mean, we're not, um, you can't ignore uh, the pressures uh, that the economy are going to, uh, is going to have uh, on real estate. And, the, and the, probably the, the headline pressure is rising interest rates. And we are already seeing that is having an impact at the very sharp end of the market. Not an end of the market that we've ever inhabited, um, but people who are buying properties with initial yields of 3% um, when the cost of debt is now greater than 3% um, are discovering that those sums don't add up. If we look at um, our recent activity in the last four months, we have invested £41.5 million in new property acquisitions. The average initial yield on those properties is 6 0.6%. Yet our cost of debt is on average 3.1%. And just touching on debt for a moment, because if, as I suggested, interest rates are going to be the biggest challenge, uh, our debt profile is um, currently at 23% LTV, loan to value. 74% um, of our debt is fixed rate, fixed uh, for an average uh, term of over six years and fixed at 3.1%. So we are well insulated against short-term interest rate rises. Um, it appears that it might only be short-term interest rate rises. Now, everyone will have a different view of short-term, but I'm thinking two to three years. That's comfortably within our, our sort of debt profile. So we feel well insulated from that. Cost of living, yes, it's going to have an impact uh, on retail uh, and also on logistics because an awful lot of the logistics sector is um, is is e-tailing, uh, so online online retailing. Um, but if we look across our portfolio, our retail is predominantly out of town retail, retail warehousing in DIY, discounting, homewares. This is much less uh, discretionary spend than it is uh, sort of necessary spend. And it's also discounted. So, for example, we have recently acquired a property which included uh, Wix as a tenant, Matalan and Poundland. A Poundland are going to do okay in a downturn. Matalan um, are going to be where an awful lot of consumers go rather than buying school uniforms in M&S they might buy them in Matalan instead. They've still got to buy the school uniform, but they are just going to adjust their spending habits to the, to the discounters and the value retailers. And that's where most of our retail is. So again, we feel reasonably well uh, protected from that downturn. So like I said, I am an optimist, but it's an optimist, optimism based 
on preparing for a downturn. You know, I think we've always seen our portfolios defensive um, because of the diversification, because of the uh, types of tenants that we have across the portfolio, and because we are spread through the whole of uh, the regions of the UK. Fascinating times and a slight departure from us uh, rather than where we're talking, you know, with trust and, and fund managers where, where the, the norm, normally the underlying is simply shared. You're, you're clearly uh, much nearer to the ground. So I have to say many thanks again for your time, Richard, and for those valuable insights. That's Richard Shepard Cross, the investment manager of the custodian REIT. And thank you for listening. Please feel free to like and subscribe. And of course, you can find much more, by the way, of investment insight and ideas at ii.co.uk. I'll be back soon with another Richard Hunter interview. Bye for now.